Welcome to Fortitude and Truth. This is Andrew. I'm sitting here with Nate. Um, today, what, what I'm gonna what we're gonna do is go over the focus verse to start. And I'm gonna outline the show for us, and then kick it over to Nate, and we'll go from there. All right. So today's focus verse is actually two because one is not enough. No, I'm just kidding. Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. That is our focus verse for the show, which is. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching and for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Read that one more time. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Kind of ironically enough, lines up perfectly with our show for today, which is our first episode in the series covering the attributes of Scripture. Today, we're going to be covering what are the attributes of Scripture, um, what that term attribute means, and the focus of today's show specifically is over four attributes of Scripture, that being inspiration and inerrancy, authority and sufficiency. Hey, do you have any thoughts before we get started? I love all of these attributes of scripture. Uh, I may have a soft spot for one of them. I may as well just hit my mic and ruin the entire audio take. Um, it's no no surprise that we picked that verse intentionally. There was not it's not a random draw. We don't open our Bibles <laughs> yeah, and just speculate wildly. Nor should you. I don't encourage anyone in your daily reading to open your Bible and pick a verse at random and say, "Hey, this is how God's speaking to me today." That is dangerous. Extremely. Um, one of the pastors that I met one time said, you can make the Bible say whatever you want if you pull it out of context. The Bible says Judas went and hang, hung himself. It also says go and do likewise. Now those are both out of, that's an extreme example, and it's very far out of context, so please don't do that. And don't take scripture that way. It needs to be bound to its context for for that reason. Otherwise, you can make scripture say whatever it wants to say. It's a phenomenal point. Um, so when you when you hear the word attribute, Nate, in, in terms of scripture, what, what what are we talking about? What is that? What is that supposed to convey? I think if we went to like Webster's dictionary and thought of definitions, or maybe the thesaurus, uh, I would say like the characteristics of scripture. And even more so, like, what makes Scripture Scripture? Like, what makes Scripture different from any other book that you read or even any other religious book? Uh, all the different religions have different books that they use. And what makes the Bible different or more special or better, I would say, than any of these other books? And that is these attributes. To that, through that point, you look up the actual textbook definition— an attribute is a quality, character, or characteristic ascribed to someone or something. Um, another way, and I, I kind of like this one better, an object closely associated with or belonging to a specific person. Um, actually, that doesn't quite tie in. But nonetheless, Close. It, it's talking about directly what is what makes essentially the essence of something. Um, and in this case, it is the living word of God. Um, and it's very important that we understand 
what comprises like what why is it authoritative or why is it sufficient or why is it or like what does it mean that it's inspired which is i would argue the the foundational attribute um don't get me wrong all of them are important but everything's built off of its inspiration <clears throat> um any thoughts on that mm, yeah i would say all these are built off inspiration um ultimately we we call it god's word for a reason and we'll talk about obviously all these attributes, but we call it God's word. So that's the foundation. If any of these attributes are true, which we hold them to be a hundred percent true, that that's, then it's God's word. If it's not God's word, then these attributes really wouldn't fit with it. Um, and so we really find ourselves treating scripture, not just as the written word of God, but the spoken word of God, the will of God played out in yeah it's a literary form but we shouldn't treat it as just another book it should be it's i don't want to say authoritative authoritative because that's that's an attribute but at the same time that's really the the essence that it should carry i couldn't agree more so that's why we started unironically enough with inspiration because as nate so rightly pointed out everything kind of builds off of that idea so in the first segment we're going to be going over inspiration and inerrancy the second segment, we're going to be talking about specifically what authority means, specifically in the context of Scripture, and when it, as far as it being a characteristic, an essence of Scripture. And then lastly, we're going to look at today, sufficiency. Now, there are others that we're going to look at in the next co- upcoming episodes, um, but those are the four that we're really going to ha- hone in on today. Um, with that, Nate, we're going to go ahead and kick it over. We'll start today with inspiration and inerrancy. Yeah, absolutely. Inspiration is, like we said, the foundation of of Scripture. So what does inspiration mean? Where did Scripture come from? Uh, we have to find the origin of Scripture, and that's difficult because we have how many different authors uh, in all of these 66 books of the Bible? I don't know the actual number, and I'm sure that's debated in any case. We look at the New Testament, how many letters did Paul actually write? I'm pretty sure it's between 30 and 40. Uh, I could be wrong, that's good because there's only 27 books in the yeah. New Testament. Yeah, <laughs> but in it, like in any case, sorry, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off. Does that's... it matter if Paul wrote them if they're inspired? And we've had those discussions. I've I've been teaching uh, with one of the pastors here at our church. I've been teaching through Philippians and Colossians, and Colossians more so than Philippians is, is debated on Pauline authorship. And the ultimate question that lies uh, on that is, does it matter? Um, at, at some level it does, and at some level it doesn't, and I think ultimately it doesn't. But, you know, when the text says Paul wrote it, we we trust the word of God that Paul wrote it. Um, but if it wasn't actually Paul and it was still inspired, does it matter? No, I don't I don't think so. So, but what does inspiration mean? So it's, it's the word of God. It's God's word. God inspired it. Um, for those of you who are Junior Bible Quiz fans... The I believe the Junior Bible Quiz answer is that the Holy Spirit inspired holy men, giving them both the truth and the words to write, or the thoughts and the words to write. And so that's that's the idea. So let's, I want to look at Scripture first and find our basis for the inspiration of Scripture there um, from Scripture itself. A little bit circular, but I'm okay with that. And then we'll kind of talk about there's some different thoughts as to how Scripture was actually inspired, so we can go there too. To, to do that. So first I want to really focus on on John, on John's gospel. The first chapter seems pretty clear that we call Jesus the word, 
right? He is the word of God. He preached the word of God. And obviously the entire canon of scripture is focused on Jesus from start to finish. Um, God too, it's the whole council of God, but it, it points, you know, the Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament is the story of Christ, and then the epistles talk about living for Christ, and then ultimately in Revelation we get the return of Christ. So, really, I mean, the Word of God is Jesus. They're synonymous. Um, so John chapter 1, though, says, In the beginning the Word w- was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. And if you kind of skip down a little bit further to verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. I think that's the key there at the end is that he has made him known. How has he made him known? Did he just scream from the heavens that this is my beloved son? He did once. Twice. Technically twice. (laughs) Twice. We have the, the baptism and the transfiguration of Jesus, but does he do that today? How often have you heard God speak from the sky in inaudible words? Probably not at all. In my my thirty some years of living, I have not heard it once. Uh, but I still know that Jesus is the truth, and Scripture is is why. That's how He has made Him known. His Spirit is at work in the hearts of men, and His Word is is plain for us to read. And then two, that would I think tie directly into what Peter says. Uh, Peter, one of the disciples of Christ, in his second letter, uh, chapter one, verse nineteen says. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a la- as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And obviously Peter here is talking about the Old Testament and the the writings of the prophets and probably Moses and and the rest, um, which they would have had readily available for the most part in synagogues, and they would have been probably schooled in as far as um, Jewish men and in some of the Gentiles as well. But we can take this principle and apply it to the New Testament as well. It'd be the same thing, right? That the, the Spirit of God carried along men. These aren't ideas from man, but from God. Because if these were ideas from man... They'd be all over the place. Man loves to contradict himself, and God doesn't. And that's one of the great things about the unity of Scripture, and that's not something we're dealing directly with today, but the unity of Scripture really speaks to divine authorship. Because I don't think men across centuries and millennia could compose all these books that fit so nicely together without with the help of God. Um, and so this really should affect our approach to scripture because if we think about who and again who inspired it and if we really trust that god inspired holy scripture then every part of scripture is valuable for us it's there's something we can glean about god from scripture he's revealed it to us for a reason and i am of the belief and i know some people disagree that 
you could spend your entire lifetime studying scripture and you're not going to know everything there is to know about scripture or about God. Uh, I think that's intentional. I think partly because God does wants to continue to develop this reliance that we need him because we do. Um, and the other thing is because we're fallible that even though we think we might know the whole thing that we've probably, we're going to be probably missing something at some well, point. That kind of goes right off brother, what you're talking about, uh, apostle Paul, you know, and I, but now I see through a lens dimly. Um, I would agree completely, um, that we scripture is something we can learn from always. Um, you, you, this is never exhaustive and scripture points to this idea too, um, we're learning about an eternal heavenly father, um, God, the whole counsel of God that has existed forever um, and that will always exist. That provides us plenty of opportunities. And not to mention, he's holy. Um, that's something that provides us opportunity to constantly be learning about. Anyway. Sorry, and I think it says somewhere, and I'm terrible with scripture addresses, but I think somewhere in scripture it says too that when we get to heaven or we, we face eternity, uh, that God's going to reveal all the stuff and all the mysteries that we don't understand. So clearly he correct. tells us that we're going to be stuck with mystery, and that's okay. Um, I that's will say room that, for trust. I will say, sorry, that, that exactly your point. I like how you connected that because I that is absolutely accurate um, of God requir- living by faith that him desiring that trust. Or you got to think about a relationship, a normal relationship. Like Nate's my brother. I trust him. It's built upon trust. All imagine all that with God, the father with God, I shouldn't just signify one with God, um, that God also desires that. That's the whole, you know, but the righteous live by faith, by trust in the Lord. And obviously we can unpack faith more. It's much more in depth than just that, but that's a good foundational understanding. Absolutely. And so, too, with the inspiration, there's there's some schools of thought here that I'm sure people have heard some of that we think that some some people would say that, oh, the, the spirit took control of of the person and just had them was their body was basically the the vehicle, so to speak. And, and the spirit did all the writing himself and there was no human thought involved and God just did the whole thing pretty much himself. Um, I kind of have a hard time with that. I don't see God who is so. Um, what's the right word? He so desires to involve humans. I mean, he doesn't need to for any reason. Like we, we talk about evangelism, like he sure does not need humans to spread his word, uh, but he has entrusted it to us nonetheless. I think with this would be the very same thing that he doesn't need us to write his, he did not need them to write his word, but yet he entrusted them to. And so at some level, I would say that, um, there was some element of human thought in there. I would not say it was fallible. I would say that it's still infallible because God led it in a certain way. But if we look at the different writing styles of like Paul and Peter and James, you can the, some of the reasons you can tell that these people wrote these books is because of the way they were written and their language that they use. So there is some of that that goes along with inspiration. I don't think it's as loose as some people. Some people will give it a really loose take where, oh, the spirit kind of put a thought in their head and they just kind of expounded upon it. I think I think there's a little bit more control than that. Um, now, I don't know, and I'm not the authority on this this topic. I'm sure there's some scholars who have more to say on that. But ultimately, again, it, it came from God. It's inspired. It's his words that man wrote down. And 
that they dictated. And so ultimately we can trust that it's not something to, to play lightly with. And that goes along to, and that really leads us kind of in the next topic. If we talk about inerrancy of scripture, that a holy God who is perfect and has all knowledge and wisdom would not make a mistake and doesn't make mistakes. And so he didn't make a mistake with his word. And that's, so that's where inerrancy and inspiration kind of go together, that if it was inspired by God and we believe it's inspired by God, then it would probably be inerrant. That would make, that would make sense. And if it is inerrant, then it's probably not by humans because humans make mistakes all the time. I've not met a perfect human in my life. Um, I don't even think I'm perfect. I like to tell people that, but I'm definitely not. So when we mean inerrancy, again, there's a couple, there's kind of a sliding scale here among like theologians. When we come to inerrancy, there's those who are for like absolute or total inerrancy where literally every single word is not without error. Um, there are, there are some issues that arise with that. Um, and I understand them. And so we, we talk about, especially in the old Testament, when they record like scientific data, like numbers or, um, like the width of something or the diameter of a sphere or something technical along those lines that modern mathematical formulas have proved those to be technically in error. They're not technically correct. However, when we talk about the purpose that they serve literary, literarily, that it doesn't matter, right? If one, if one person says, I saw a crowd of 5,000 and somebody else in a different book records the same event says, I saw a throng of 10,000. Well, to them, that's probably what they saw. They, but the purpose in either case is probably they saw a lot of people. And that really gets down to the heart of it is that that's not, that's not error. I would not call that error. Um, that's kind of point of view. And again, that's the human aspect of that. But I would not call that error. Um, there are some people that believe that there are errors in the Bible, that the Bible contradicts itself. And again, there's a sliding scale in there on how how inerrant the Bible is. Um, but I would fully support that it is inerrant pretty much to the fullest. Well, on that note, too, as you kind of pointed out, uh, for literary devices, as well as there are parts of Scripture where God will give a vision, for example, to John of the end times in Revelation, and John is conveying what he has seen, what he saw, rather, to us. Um, that's kind of similar in the Old Testament, too, where, yes, and, they all, and another important thing to understand um, when it comes to, the, the, the scripture was recorded and penned over 1,500 years, um, and much of it, actually all of it, to us, by our standards, would be an ancient world, okay? So that comes along with it, ancient styles of measurement, ancient understandings of measurement. Um, all of those things play a factor. Um, when it comes to my personal thinking on this, what I will say is I, I think it's disingenuous And when you're starting out with a premise based on, oh, well, technically to our standards today, it's not the same. It's like, well, of course it's not. Our standards of measurement today are different than even the 1800s. Like in the 1800s, we were still bleeding people for medicine. Um, it, I know that's not a perfect analogy, but nonetheless, it points to the bigger picture. Like, like Nate was saying, it also ties in the fact that there's a large, for example, the numbers, it ties a large, these eyewitnesses are saying there's a large group of people here. Um, and one point, if you don't mind, brother, I'd like to add is as far as inspiration um, that, wow, I just lost it. I'll come back to it. Good job. Yeah, I just lost it. Wow. It's called a brain fart. <clears throat> 
Maybe you weren't supposed to say it. That's good. Maybe maybe not. Um, But we talk about inerrancy. There's a reason that we can, again, trust scripture. We came from God. There are no mistakes. And so I just want to give you a couple of verses here that I think are super important and uh, really tie to this idea and how we can kind of apply that. Second uh, Timothy chapter four. Uh, I was going to read verse two, but I kind of want to read verses one through four. I think this is super important. Uh, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he's talking... Paul's talking to Timothy here. But again, Paul talking to Timothy is like Paul talking to any of us. Uh, the Paul's letters are pretty applicable to pretty much every Christian in whatever situation they find themselves. And so if Paul's telling Timothy this, he's really leaning on that kind of inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. Right? He's charging Timothy in the presence of God to preach the word at all times, basically in season and out of season, and to be able to do things with the word, such as reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Um, Scripture can serve those functions, right? But why can Timothy trust that? Why can Timothy do those things? Because Scripture is inerrant, right? If we were teaching the gospel of Timothy or the gospel of Andrew, right, or my gospel, right, what good would that be? They'd be full of errors, where I can trust and preach the gospel of Christ because I can stand on something that is inerrant. It's, and it's absolutely wonderful. Another one. Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Andrew. No, I'm sorry. I just remembered my thought, and it does make sense. Okay, it's actually... So when, you, when we're talking about, and this idea to inerrancy, inspiration, uh, God using men to pen scripture <clears throat> and utilizing those different styles, I would argue, underscores... And really emphasizes his own sovereignty that he doesn't need it to go exactly the way we think he needs it to go. If that makes sense, um, he he can use all avenues to draw onto him and inspire in that way. And as well as you know, taking eyewitness accounts that may seem and come off contradictory. Again, if you are looking solely for apparent or apparent contradictions, um, without like actually diving in genuinely to reflect upon it. Um, I just think that really underscores the sovereignty of the Lord. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Um, and, and we find some some similar things as well uh, from John and from Matthew. Uh, John chapter 17, verse 15 says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you, that you keep them from the evil one. And this is Jesus talking, praying for his disciples. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Right? The word of God is truth. No one else's word is truth. And again, that's why we talked about in our kind of inaugural introduction episode, if you had a chance to listen to that, that truth for this show, we say fortitude and truth is, is scripture, right? His word is truth. God's word is truth. And that's where we should have our confidence. That's where we should have our trust. And that's really why we're just spending a lot of, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about these attributes of scripture and and really the the foundations of scripture that everything else builds off of because it is God's word. It's not just some book. 
Um, I've accused a couple of pastors of in my day of of treating the Bible not just as literature, but in this sounds weird that I say it out loud, but placing the Bible basically above God, not just that it's God's word, but like, you know, it's it's this book that it's the end all be all. And it like detaches it from God. It makes it like this literary book that this is the Bible itself is the authority and there is no God or it detaches it so far from having an actual relationship with God that then what's the purpose of the Bible, right? It's not just this book for holy living or for um, getting along with others, but it's it's for having a relationship with God and with others. And if we separate those two things, then we, we end up at that place. The other one is Matthew 5, chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. It says, But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. And so that's that's where we get mixed up, right? That's where we rely so much on what Scripture says, and we take take it f- too far, right? It's not just what Scripture says, because what Scripture says is perfect. But when they took remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, the Jews and the the, the Old Testament Jews and the Second Temple um, Pharisees here that Jesus is is talking about, they had come up with all these rabbinic laws where you couldn't walk so far on a Sabbath, you couldn't do this work on a Sabbath, you couldn't sacrifice on a Sabbath. Um, and maybe that's wrong. I'm not sure about the sacrifices, but you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath because that to them was keeping it holy. But as Jesus kind of showed through this whole transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's not just about the law. It's not just about the letter of the law. It's about the spirit of the law. So I could keep the law perfectly, but if it's not in my heart, then what good is it? Right? I can honor the Sabbath and not do any work on the Sabbath, but if, if, if in my heart I want to do work all day, then am I actually doing work all day? It's a great question. I think Jesus answers that. You know, if man lusts after a woman in his heart, he's, he's committed adultery with her. And it's the same thing. It's it's the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. And so, again, it goes back to who is the author of Scripture and who is the foundation of Scripture is, is God in Christ. It's his inspiration through the Holy Spirit that inspired these men to write without error and give us something that we can we can trust right throughout history and there's nothing again there's not one part of the bible that i would say i don't trust this there's some things i don't understand and i must and i have to trust um but i don't trust them in the fact that i think they're false i just don't understand fully the mystery as god has revealed it i think it's a good way to put it i would say in addition let me know what you think about this but i think a lot of what specifically with jesus in his earthly ministry when he's dealing with the scribes and the pharisees who did know the old testament law who like you said added a rabbinical law all of that kind of stuff but what jesus was really trying to highlight is they have divorced the teaching of scripture from its source right and they they had manipulated it and contoured it and divorced it from what it actually meant um, and that was one of the chief misunderstandings. And then they, obviously the hardness of their heart, their carnality, all of that. But well, I don't know what you think about that. And they part. used it too to, to kind of to edify themselves, right? Like, oh, oh exactly. look, at, look at me. I wrote all these laws. And then look at me. I can keep all the laws that I wrote. Yeah. But then can I even keep God's law? That's, a, that's, that's the yeah. question. And that's the standard, right? I can keep all these rules I make for myself. That's great. But if I can't keep 
the scriptures, then what good is it? That kind of, yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me of when you're playing a game with like a five-year-old and they're changing the rules just so they can win. <laughs> Those are my favorite games. Yeah. <laughs> I used to do that. Don't worry. Yeah, no, I, I did. And too. now my kids do it with me, and I just kind of smile and nod, <laughs> and then I beat them. Yeah, at their own game, of course, and they love it. No, but that that's kind of what it seems like to me, right? A little bit. I mean, and it, and. Again, like you so rightly connect, interconnected here that Christ does in the, in the earthly ministry when he's dealing with them is, what is in Matthew 5, what a lot of what Jesus is doing is applying the law that they thought they knew so well. And he was like, no, you're missing the point. It's from, about, from what comes from within your heart. It's not just about your external actions. You're missing the point. And you, you, there's a lot of different uh, places throughout Scripture, specifically in the Gospels, where Jesus is interacting with them. And he's trying to, in a way, get them to see that. And they're determined in some cases just to not see it. Also, um, I misspoke. So we're going to love to have to deal with that. Uh, The verse I quoted was actually John chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, which we'll probably cover again in in the authority of Scripture. Obviously, it comes from God. Uh, Matthew 5, 17 actually says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, that seems more like appropriate for inerrancy, right? That we need the Old Testament, we need the New Testament. His word is through and through inerrant and, and not nothing is um, out of context, not out of context. Nothing is like wasted, right? We don't have to ignore the old Testament because it's old. It's still inerrant. It's still appropriate. Well, there's um, much you can learn from it. I, I am deep within just on that point, brother, deep within the study of the old Testament. And I mean, I'm obviously maintaining my study of the new as well, but it, it, the level it just of God's power and holiness that's on display in the Old Testament is something that I so deeply cherish um, on that note. So absolutely. So yeah. So as we kind of bring this section to a close and we, and we transition into authority of scripture, why would inspiration and inerrancy give us authority, right? There's, there's a couple of reasons. One is, is the author who gives all these attributes, right? It's because of God that scripture is inerrant. It's because of God that scripture is inspired, right? And so even more so, it's because of God that Scripture has authority. And so we're going to I'm gonna let Andrew kind of lead this next section, but that's the idea, right? If God is behind all this, and we obviously believe and trust that he is, then his word has power. Absolutely, yeah. So when we're talking about specifically the authority, and if you've noticed so far, these things kind of build, right? You go from it's inspired by God, Scripture's inspired by God, therefore it's inerrant. Therefore, because it's inspired and inerrant, it has authority. And then therefore, because it has, ins- it has inspiration or it's inspired, it has, uh, iner- it's inerrant, and it has authority, it's also sufficient. If you kind of notice, that's how it's stacked out. Not that each, any one of these is more important than the other. Again, I would, my, in my view, in many of you, I think, I think it's the proper view, that all of this kind of stems from the fact that Scripture is inspired by God. Everything else is built on that chief bedrock. Outside of that, though, you'll kind of notice how these build upon one another. So when we're talking about authority, 
I am very big about defining your terms. I guess that's rather academic, people tell me. But nonetheless, I'm very big on if we're going to be using a term, we should know what it means. Who defines terms? Me. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Negative 10 points. Yeah. Uh, I think we said it in our last episode. We talk yeah. about terms as far as like what love is or oh, what yeah. authority is what that Scripture God. really defines. Yeah. God defines our terms, and God Scripture does. helps us define those terms. And so it's hard to def- to def- like define Scripture with Scripture, but at the same time, if God defines what authority means and sufficiency means, then exactly his word matters. Amen. Right? He gets That's... to choose what love means. I don't. Absolutely. Well, and on that topic, really quick, I'm sorry. Now we're going to go on a brief rabbit hole, okay? Because I just, I just had – sorry, I just hit my mic. For those out there listening, my apologies. But I just had this discussion post um, – friendly conversation, actually, in one of my assignments that I'm working on. And um, when it comes to actually talking about Scripture um, and how do we know it's God's Word, all of that kind of you know stuff, one of the arguments – and this is what my classmate wasn't arguing from this, but they were – um, outlining a possible pushback that people have um, as far as inerrancy and inspiration, all these attributes, right? That the Bible is God's word. One was, oh, that's circular logic to say that scripture says that the Bible is God's word. There's a couple of sub points on there that I want to, I, I, I actually went in very in depth. For example, just not a lot about me, but just so you know how passionately I feel about this. I, the, the response was supposed to be 150 words. I wrote like a thousand words. Most of it was talking specifically about this idea of circular logic because I, I don't find that to be specifically, I don't find that to be convincing argument for two reasons, okay? One, when talking about scripture specifically, which is all that matters, right? I don't really care about circular logic elsewhere. Like we can talk about it in theory. I understand it. But um, when it comes to scripture, it's important to understand that while scripture is compiled together in its closed canon, the measuring stick of God, it's 66 separate books. It's a collection of books written over a course of 1,500 years. And throughout all of them, these are all present. And they're consistent. And they're inerrant. So this idea that, well, that's circular logic. Well, technically, that's 66 separate books, if you want to get super technical, that are, that are testifying about each other. Um, and that, that is a rather important point. Another is... This idea of circular logic is suggesting that you need an outside source to prove what you're talking about, right? For example, again, in Scripture, that we would need to go to some other outside source to be like, well, see, this other doctor, archaeological dude, confirms what Scripture says. Well, in doing so, you're taking away the authority that's rightfully Scripture's and giving it to someone else when that's not really the case. Um, Anyway, disclaimer, that's my two cents on circular logic. (laughs) Brother Nate, you have something to add to that? No. <laughs> Circular logic is like the is ultimately if people want to argue against the gospel, they're gonna argue about whatever they want to argue about. I've heard in a million arguments and they can keep coming. And I may not always have the answers to combat those arguments, but scripture speaks for itself and, yeah. and you hope and pray that God works in the yeah. hearts of others. To, no, I and I and to deal with that too. I, I agree. I appreciate the way you handle that. Again, this is not coming from vitriol. This is just that argument specifically I find insulting. <laughs> Personally, I just I, I, I take umbrage with that argument because I think it's intellectually lazy. Um and again, it's not a believer that would say that I'm not, I wasn't mad at my classmate. We had a very good conversation. I made it very clear. I just, that specific point. Um, and I actually, uh, respectfully and tactfully correct, not corrected, but, um, critiqued 
what one of the uh, scholars wrote concerning that, concerning a pushback. And he basically, he, he didn't defend it, but he justified it as if, oh yeah, that makes sense. No, it, it doesn't make sense. That, that, that is probably one of the worst pushbacks. Um, but anyway, I digest. I, I meant digress. I just want to make sure you're listening. Anyway, when it comes to authority, <clears throat> that's another thing you have to be ready for, by the way. Disclaimer. We sometimes go down rabbit holes that tie into what we're talking about that we might be passionate about, and we hope that you glean something from it. If not, I'll do my best to keep a lid on it. So authority. When it comes to this idea of authority, I want us, here's how I want us to frame it and understand it before we even apply it to Scripture. When you look up a, a definition, there's several, okay? But I, I like, um, there's actually three definitions I'm going to read. They're all one sentence, so I'm not going to read a ton. Uh, a citation as from a book or a file used in defense or support. Right, so that's a legal connotation. Continuing from there, it's the source from which the citation is drawn. Um, and, and then lastly, the last one I want to highlight is an individual cited or appealed to as an expert. All of these tie in. So I'm going to read those one more time. Um, a citation as from a book or file used in defense or support the source from which the citation is drawn, and an individual cited or applied, or appealed to rather, as an expert. So that's what we mean by authority, right? When we talk about authority, that's in general what authority or authoritative is, okay? So in reference to scripture, the very essence of it is authoritative. It is the standard, okay? That's, that's what it means. An analogy I used once before for um, Junior Chapel, when I was youth pastoring, um, kids, kids, would, kids tend to ask some of the best questions, and they ask them from such a genuine point of view, um, which I have always appreciated. Well, they ask like what that means when you look at Scripture as being authority. And what I used was um, the term of like the chief seat or the lens of your life, right? The things you look as you look through things or you assess things. The most important thing you place, first of all, is God, but by extension, is His Word, right? Because it is His Word. So if God is at the chief seat of my life and I look to him and my focus is on him, I'm going to honor and, and walk in reverence in what he communicates to me, which is the close canon continued revelation of the Lord. Uh, Nate, do you have anything to add on that or is that? Okay, fair enough. And we're rolling now. Uh, so what it, now what does scripture tell us about this? I'm gonna, we're going to look at two sections here. Hebrews 4, verse 12, first, and then 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, which is in a more expanded context of our focus verse, verses, rather. So, in Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I'm going to read that one more time. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That that's, sounds pretty authoritative. If, you, if you're able to, God uses it to judge your thoughts and intentions of your heart. We know that from Scripture elsewhere in 1 Samuel that when Samuel is looking to anoint the next king, 
God, I'm not going to go through verse by verse, but essentially what God does is pull him aside and says, nope, you're not going to anoint Jesse's oldest. For, you know, you look as man looks on the outward appearance, for but God looks upon the heart. Um, and the Lord, we, we, you can judge the intentions of a man's heart by Scripture. That's the, that's the authority and the power of it. And I think that we see that this idea of it can penetrate, right? The Word of the Lord penetrates deeply. Even people that you might be, you know, pre, like there's times when I was preaching or teaching, you think that, oh man, that, that guy, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not helping him. I'm not, you know, and the next thing you know, he comes up to you and the Lord has really used that to, to penetrate into him or that person, whoever that might be. Um, the word of the Lord is, is very active, very deep. And we see that it's this idea of it being active because when the word of the God goes out, the spirit of God goes out. I think all of this, we get all of this idea and we just see that it that in this one verse, this one passage, it really elevates this idea of authority. Um, I don't know, Nate, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I absolutely agree with you as far as scripture verses go that we see the authority. And I like to use the word power, too. Um, it's a great connotation. They're, very, they're synonymous, and I think it, it just builds upon we speak from authority or we speak with power. Um, his words don't just, they're not empty. And to your point, I like kind of like the tie-in here. We talk about Jesse, and he talks about, or not Jesse, the sons of Jesse and, and Samuel, about how uh, man does not look as the Lord looks. And I was just looking at something real quick in Isaiah uh, chapter 55. And, he's, and the Lord's talking. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And he kind of expands upon that, and he gets down to verse 11, and you read, So my word which goes forth from my mouth, and this is God talking, not Isaiah, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Right? So God's word, whether audible or written on paper, will accomplish whatever he set it out for. That's power. That is amazing. That's authority. That's that's, I mean, that's the definition, really. That's what it means. If his word has that kind of power and that kind of notation, that it's going to accomplish his purposes, whether we understand his purposes for it or not, it has that power to do that. And so that's where we say we speak with power and authority. We, it's not our power and authority. It's his. But scripture and his words have that authority to be able to, to convey the the will of God. And along those notes, brother, that's a great tie-in. And is the idea of conviction. The word of the Lord convicts. My words cannot convict. Your words cannot convict. No, 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 no offense to you or anyone else, but our words as humans cannot convict. But I got to tell you, I've had conversations where even if you just quote scripture um, and do it without any agenda, of course, because that would be another way, in my view, if you do it incorrectly, that'd be eisegesis or eisegetical. But um, if you just quote it along the lines, I think that. Like I've seen, actually, I think I've noticed and witnessed, and Scripture attests to it that that convicting power it has, and that is supreme authority. So, this ties in as well. We see this, and we're going to roll in now to our focus verse, but a little more expanded. What I mean by that is we're looking at the more of the context of that passage. So that's going to be Second Timothy three verses fourteen through seventeen. Uh, the Bible says, "You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of." knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood 
You have known the sacred writings, which were able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. I think this is, as we expand on this, we see Paul in context, who's this to? This is to Timothy, a young pastor. He's telling him, hey, continue in what you have learned, the sacred writings right, that you become convinced of. And that they're able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation. This all kind of ties in to the supreme authority of Scripture. What are your thoughts there, brother? Absolutely. Like, how can Timothy, as one who preaches the gospel, how can he do any of these things of his own authority? It's, it's the same thing, that the difference between man and God. Timothy could do these things of his own authority, but he probably wouldn't get very far. It, it, and like, look at look at the Tower of Babel. Man did the man built the Tower of Babel out of their own authority. And what did it get them? Right? Man chose a king out of their own authority. And what did it get them? They got them Saul, great great guy, got right? Them great pain and suffering, right? Which is what God also <clears throat> learned against. Um, and it's funny how God uses even man's choices for for His own purpose. We look at at, at Christ's path to the cross. And even in that, that man wanted to, and the Jews wanted to crucify him. And even through that, that that was God's design to make sure that obviously that Christ was crucified and paid for his sins. But at the same time, that was, he allowed those desires to fester in the hearts of the Pharisees and, and those in power. That's crazy. That's a crazy perspective. So, so accurate, by the way, but the crazy perspective talking about how Jesus in his earthly ministry and his disciples, he knew Judas was going to betray him. Continue your thought there. And he had the authority to stop it and he allowed it to continue to achieve God the Father's will. That's authority. Um, anyway, before we kick it off to sufficiency, how should this affect our approach when we view Scripture? I think it's pretty self-evident. I mean, we see how it, first of all, this extends from inspiration and inerrancy that we know that the word of God is authoritative. That is how we should approach it, that it is the standard, right? That's what canon means, right? Closed canon is the measuring stick. Um, and that's actually, I think, I actually, actually I might have misspoke. I think that might be what Bible means. That's, yeah, that's now, yeah. closed canon just means there's nothing yeah, to be added. added. I, 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 I think, the, that's okay. I meant canon, but I think I meant, bi- the word Bible means standard. Um, so that's, that's what we should view it as, is the standard. We should not be appealing. I see this a lot, and I know people mean well, uh, of appealing to what the popular ideas of the culture today, or even, actually, let me, let me reframe this. We should not be looking to the world around us to frame how we speak and what we think is important. We should be looking to Scripture, ex- exposition and exegetical Scripture reading and understanding, which is a fancy way of saying reading Scripture as God intended and, and, and in context and applying it to our lives faithfully, seeking the Holy Spirit to grow us. That, that we should not be taking our marching orders from the world and our points of emphasis from the world. Rather, we should be coming to Scripture. Um, does that make sense, Brother, how I worded that? Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue into we talk about sufficiency is what does that mean? What is sufficient? Uh, what would you, if we think about sufficient in terms of, of earthly, like what is sufficient is like if you were to eat, you eat what's sufficient. It's something that fills you that's nutritious. Um, that's enough for you without being gluttonous. And I think that's kind of a good analogy for what scripture is. It fills you, it, it sustains you, and it's not gluttonous. But it's even more than that. 
it's really we talk about sufficiency is we can use it for i mean and really you could use that second timothy verse in in the same light is what can can we use scripture for what is scripture valuable for and since we said that it's the entire canon of god it's god tells us everything we need to know about everything and people are like oh what does that mean i read a, a book one time it was a counseling book actually uh by heath lambert and it's called the theology of biblical counseling great book great counseling principles in it but he talks about the sufficiency of scripture and the practical sufficiency of scripture and so you would say oh well is this is scripture sufficient for plumbing absolutely well scripture doesn't tell you anything about plumbing exactly it gives you everything god everything you need to know about what god tells you about plumbing right we've learned about plumbing and that's great we've developed plumbing as humans and that's fine but scripture tells you exactly what you need to know from god about plumbing so when you talk about living a holy life, Scripture tells you exactly from God what you need to know about living a holy life and living a Christian life and serving him and pleasing him and having a relationship with him, right? It's great It's great for counseling, you know? Counseling has so many different nuances to it that are, are very spiritual. And so, and I would never discount the, the physiological side of things that, again, have, have been in God's common grace, have been developed by man and scripture does doesn't say one way or the other what we need to do with that but that means that you know god's kind of in some way left it up to us and then on the other hand has shown us like god but god has told us how to again live with one another and to deal with ourselves and to deal with our sin and to you know what the pastor's role and and the counselor's role is so that was a long explanation of, of sufficiency but ultimately it's just the fact that the whole counsel of God is applicable to every area of our life. And it's not outdated either. I um, I keep referring to this and it keeps coming up and maybe it's because I need to learn my lesson or something. I, there was a Anglican bishop. And again, I'm not supporting the Anglican faith. I'm sure there are plenty of brothers and sisters in Christ. And I, w- I would consider probably, uh, I believe his name is Calvin Robertson or Dr. Calvin Robertson. I'm not sure if there's a doctor in there or not. Um, there's an Anglican bishop and he has some great points. And so he's was debating in front of the Ox- Oxford Union about homosexuality and, and about how so many people's arguments is about, oh, well, scriptures, you know, their culture was different and they would have never understood this. And this is new and, and maybe they're right. That's fine. And, and, and Calvin says so. And, but they says, but are we really to submit that God back then when scripture was written, didn't know all about homosexuality and didn't have that in mind when he, he made sure scripture was penned. Are we really to believe that, that an all knowing God didn't know something and he has to evolve over time? Obviously we're not going to say that because God does not need to evolve over time and he is all knowing. And I'm very sure that he knew about the issues we'd face today and, and had them written in such a way that we could still glean from them and are still sufficient for us today. Um, funny story. We actually almost titled this podcast Sufficient for Today. Um, that was my contribution that got shot down, so we see how we feel about my opinions. But For the record, I did not shoot it down. No, we we um, we had a focus group, and so we had a couple titles, and all of them were kind of similar, right? It's fortitude and truth, sufficient for today. Um, just these principles of the ability to continue to lean on Scripture, right? It is sufficient for today. It's sufficient every day. And so we see these wonderful things that we can use scripture and we can use Christ. Christ is sufficient for today. If he died 2000 plus years ago, 
but his his payment is still sufficient for today and his the work of his the spirit is sufficient for today so it's not just again it's not separating scripture from god but all of that is sufficient for today so i just want to give you a couple scriptural points to to kind of round this out to a day before we close uh this is now john chapter 5 and it actually starts in verse 19 so it's kind of where we were but a little bit different so jesus said to them truly truly i say to you the son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does the son does likewise for the father loves the son and the son shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will be will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life, to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that he may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and who does he does not come into judgment, but has passed from life to death. And so it's not just this is this is also a little bit about authority too here, but this idea that we do with the Father and the Son, there's that kind of harmony between the Father and the Son and, and the Spirit's there too, even though it's not mentioned in this verse, that the idea that if the Word of God, which comes from the Father and from the Son and from the Spirit, if we do what the Father says, right, we honor what the Father says, we believe and have faith in that then he will give us eternal life. And it's not earned, obviously. It's it's by grace through faith. We have faith in that. It's not a it's not a tit for tat sort of thing. Nope. Right? We love to we love to think as Christians, I think very often that my obedience God will always honor. Um and God doesn't work that way. I I love I'd love to think that myself, that that every time I'm obedient, every so time I Job follow God. Job would like a word with you. I'm sure Job would, right? Um but it, it doesn't work that way. It's not how God works. Um, and that's not grace, right? Then it wouldn't be grace because if it were, if I got things for being obedient, then that's, you know, that's fair. But also if I got things for obedience, then I would get what I deserve. And if I get what I deserve, Romans says I deserve to die. So I believe all things being fair, I would lose this, lose this, uh, this, uh, tit for tat sort of thing. On that note, brother, I just, just dawned in my mind that R.C. Sproul had a pretty good quote on that. Um, he's like, you don't want what's fair. It might've been Dr. John MacArthur. So I'm not quite sure it's one of these two gentlemen um you, you don't want what's fair fair it will, if we got what was fair you'd be in hell you'd go to hell sorry my voice cracked there what you want is grace <clears throat> which is kind of what uh, nate pointed out that he gives us right gives that's a gift implies gift in this context i would argue absolutely absolutely it's a gift and from his grace this his word is a gift and he's given it to us for a reason. It's still around today for a reason. If it were not sufficient for us today, it probably wouldn't be around anymore, honestly. But it clearly is. And it's one book, right? I mean, 66 books, but it's one big collection that we that we call one book. And that's it. There's no other secondary sources. This is it. This is his word. This is it. Um, and then so I, there's another passage of scripture I just want to read very briefly. It's actually quoted twice in Scripture. It's in Deuteronomy, and it's also in Matthew. Jesus quotes it to, to Satan as he's being tempted. Um, but I'm going to give you the Deuteronomy version in chapter 8, verse 3. It says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right? So it's sufficient. It's sustaining. He gave the manna out of his good graces. Right? But man does not live on bread. Man lives on the word of God. Because ultimately, in this life, our flesh will pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's something we can cling to. That's something that's sufficient. It's authoritative. It's inspired. It's inerrant. And it's wonderful. And I'm so excited that we have, that he gave us this gift. Among all the other gifts that God has given us in this life, I think not the sacrifice of his son is probably paramount. But the fact that we have this gift of the entire canon of scripture that, that reveals to us the will of God, that we can live and grow in holiness through it and through the workings of his spirit in us is just, I'm just in awe. I don't know any other better way to put it. I'm just in awe. That leaves me pretty awestruck as well. Uh, I mean, it, it, you hit it well, brother. I think on the, how should this affect our view of scripture? We see just from these four attributes alone that, it is, I would say, in, in layman's terms, that don't mean that to be offensive, just in general, is the go-to, right? It, Jesus used that scripture from Deuteronomy 8.3, and we was tempted by Satan directly. Right? This idea that we're not just physical beings. And Jesus, in his true sense, as he always does in his, does in his questions and in his actions, cuts right to the heart of the issue. We need to understand that we, are, we have all that we need today. And we should be grateful for that. So as we kind of wrap things up here, um, we thank you for listening. Uh, we're just going to recap. I'm going to give a very brief recap. We covered today our, in part one of the series on the attributes of Scripture. We have covered what inspiration is. Uh, mind you briefly, if you ever have resources, questions, whatever, we can absolutely help. But we covered inspiration, inerrancy, authority, and sufficiency. Our focus verse for today, one more time, is in, found in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. That is, all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Now, as we wind down and go to the close, and I'm going to ask Nate to pray for us as we close, but I just want to hi- highlight next episode is actually going to be our first academia today. So, and we'll, it, it ties in directly. We're going to be covering misreading Scripture through Western eyes, which really is going to help us break into digging more into the proper term of the weeds, if you will, of understanding context. Because we do have to understand that thousands of years have passed and multiple cultures have hopped, and all of that matters uh, to our proper understanding of the text as we want to handle this honorably and accurately and reverently, reverently, not irreverently, reverently, because it is God's Word. No, Brother Nate, would you mind closing us in prayer? Absolutely. Before I do, I just want to to plug that that text because I really think too when we talk about we give all there's all these tools out there and all these resources that can really help with scripture and and some of them are more helpful than others and that's fine. But really the heart of it too is some people like I've had people come up to me and be like, Oh, I don't understand Greek or I don't know this or I don't know that and that's that's okay. God gave some people gifts and some people not gifts for Greek for like contextual things like this. And that's why he called some to be pastors and teachers. And so I would never, I it would urge you, please do not feel ashamed that you've either never read these resources or you never get to read these resources. Cause ultimately you can understand scripture without them. 
and God can work in you to understand and apply it in your life without them. Phenomenal point. I, I just, for those of us who have used these things, we think that they are value added to, to further our understanding of scripture, but also to further our, again, not just knowledge, but to ap- the application of scripture to our lives. Yeah, and so point. again, that's why I think pastors and, and teachers have such a high calling uh, and also such a high mantle to fill in. So like anybody who's, thinking about becoming a pastor or teacher, I, I would just take that with, take that mantle very, seriously. very seriously because it is, it is something, it's a weight to carry, right? Because you're not just responsible for you, but now everybody you've taught about these different things. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for all the gifts that you give us out of grace that we might be able to live f- with you and for you. Father, continue to just work in everyone who's the heart of everyone who's listening or who might ever hear this podcast, Lord, that they might see who you really are through your word, and then they may come to know the glory of your grace and of your truth, and that they might be able to to realize eternity with you when you come back and, and claim this earth as your own. Lord, we can ask your blessing over everyone and everything, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.